listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. message called going viral. And again, when something becomes wildly popular, it gets shared by many, many people, passed along in just a very, very short amount of time. And it's kind of like a virus. It just kind of spreads rapidly from one person to another. So in other words, it goes viral. And most of us uh, have a If you've got a smartphone, I know a lot of people have a very popular Bible app on their their phone, their iPad computer. It's called YouVersion, and it's used by millions of people around the world. And last year, there were over 70 million Bible verses uh, that were used, that were highlighted or shared. And we're taking the top four Bible verses um, starting at number four, working our way up to the number one, and we're looking at, at what Bible verses were chosen, and more importantly, why do we think these particular Bible verses, over all other scriptures, why were these four Bible verses the most four popular? Now, if you've missed the first week's message, you can go and listen online on our webpage, because the most Uh, The fourth most shared Bible verse uh, came from the Old Testament, Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. And there we find God is speaking to Joshua, and he says to him there, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Now again, uh, this is a phrase that be strong and courageous, this is a phrase that God uses three times in speaking to Joshua in a matter of just eight verses. So this is very, very important. He's trying to communicate a very important point to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So that was the fourth most popular Bible verse shared highlighted, linked, according to you version. The third most popular verse, I got to admit, it's kind of a big surprise to me. Jason and I were talking about that earlier this week. Interestingly, and I'll just kind of let the cat out of the bag, John 3.16 is not, is not in the top four. And again, most of us would assume John 3.16 would probably be the number one every year. But, but it's not. So that was a surprise to me. Also, the third most popular verse, according to you, version, was kind of a surprise to me as well. I would have never have guessed this one. It is a verse that is found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter chapter 6 and verse 13, and there it says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, as I kind of thought about that, I thought, well, you know, it is kind of easy to understand why this would be a very popular verse, because if there's one thing all of us deal with on this planet, I mean, whether you're a believer in Jesus Christ or not, the one thing that we all deal with on this earth, and that is temptation. I love what the great playwright Oscar Wilde once said. He said, I can resist almost anything except temptation. Ever feel like that sometimes? So on the one hand, the fact that this phrase, it's found in uh, what we come to know as the Lord's Prayer, and it kind of uh, tells us that, that learning to deal with temptation on a daily basis is really crucial if we're going to become everything God wants us to be. The sentence tells us something that maybe we kind of often forget or we just overlook, and that is, as followers of Jesus Christ, we really are in a daily war. 
Every day we go into battle. So much so that we actually have a term that we use in identifying this, and we call it spiritual warfare. Every day we are going out into the world, and and we are going to have to deal with spiritual warfare. And so the Spirit of God that dwells in you and me, He does not want us giving in to temptation and sin. But you have to understand every other spirit outside of that wants that very thing. It's what the world wants for you. It's what your flesh wants for you. I mean, part of that battle is between flesh and spirit in us. The devil wants that for you. So you can see why this may be a very, very popular verse because temptation is something every one of us battles with every day of our lives. Of all the things we're told to pray about in the Lord's Prayer, I have to admit this is one of those that's really maybe a little bit kind of complex, uh, hard, difficult to understand. Because again, why would we ask God not to lead us into the very thing he doesn't want us to give into? And again, it really kind of comes down to really understanding the key word in that whole phrase, and that is the word temptation. Before the New Testament came along, the Greek word for temptation uh, rarely ever meant temptation in the sense of how we understand it, you know, being tempted to give in to sin. Now, it, it actually means in the Greek to test. So lead us not into testing or lead us not into uh, trials. Uh, so that's, that's that whole sense of that word temptation. It really kind of means to test, to prove, or to try. So again, not every test is a temptation, but every temptation is a test. And even though God never leads us to be tempted, he oftentimes will allow us periods of days, moments in our lives where we're going to be tested. And he does that in order to show, to reveal, to maybe prove something to us, something that may be going on inside of us. Maybe it's to teach us something. I don't know if you've ever kind of, you know, where, where you'll, you'll kind of go through a certain uh, ordeal in life and you kind of come out the other side of it having learned something about what's in you. Ever had that experience? I mean, you go through something uh, and it, it just tries your patience and you come out the other side of that and you're just like, man, I don't have a lot of patience. Well, well, sometimes God allows you to go through things like that in order to reveal you really need to develop more a, 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 a patient spirit. Um, sometimes, you know, if you get into a situation, um, you know, and you're tempted to gossip, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll find yourself in situations where you come out of the other side of that and you're like, wow. I really felt tempted to kind of share something uh, about something that would be considered gossip, and I kind of went through that conversation, and, and, I, and I, I didn't give in to that. Um, and so again, sometimes when you go through testings, God is allowing you maybe to see areas where, where God wants you to uh, work on this particular area or attribute in your life. Or sometimes God will allow you to go through it to see, wow, I really have grown in patience, 
You know, a, a year ago, this very ordeal, I, I just would have blown my stack. I would have been so impatient. But man, I went through it this time, and I come out, and I've, I really have grown in patience. So sometimes God will just allow you to go through things so that you can, again, it, it, it proves to you, it allows you to see, it reveals to you some things that are going on inside of you, both good or bad. Just like in school, you know, or college. I mean, when you take a test, isn't it for the purposes of kind of finding out what you do and what you don't know? Well, God kind of does the same thing. Some testings, again, not all, but some testings, trials that God allows us to go through is for the purpose of revealing what's going on on the inside of you. What do you know? What don't you know? Where do you need to grow? Where have you kind of grown? And maybe to, to, again, to reveal something that may be going on inside of you, whether that's good or bad. Now, thankfully, there was a man in the Bible that kind of understood, um, as well as anybody, again, this empower, this unbelievable power of temptation. He was a man who kind of faced it, he fought it, and overcame it to the point that God really used him in an incredible way. His name used to be Saul. And then on the road to Damascus, he has this conversion experience, and he, his name becomes uh, Paul. And in one of Paul's letters to a, a church, he shared the secret with the church, and I want to share that same secret with you today, and that is how you can overcome temptation. Now, as Paul's writing this letter, he's writing it to a city that is uh, called Corinth. And when you think of Corinth, I just kind of want you to envision Las Vegas with, you know, fewer lights. Okay? Uh, Corinth was a city that was kind of known uh, for two things, idolatry and immorality. And the city of, of Corinth was kind of dominated by the uh, Acro Corinth, and that was kind of this really steep, uh, flat-top rock. And on its very pinnacle was the temple of Aphrodite, and that was the goddess of love. And it was there, and, and I'm, I'm being serious when I say this, it was there in that place you could actually go to church and enjoy prostitutes at the same time. So every time you kind of walked out the door there in the city of Corinth, temptation was kind of just there, ready, waiting to kind of lead you wherever it wanted you to go. And so the Apostle Paul, he writes this letter, and in this letter, he kind of has a very simple message to the church of that day, and it is a message that is so applicable even to us here today, and the, the message that Paul gave that church and would give to us today is this, temptation can be tamed. And we're going to look at two verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is a part of the letter that Paul wrote there to the believers in Corinth, and we're going to look at two verses, verses 12 and 13. And what we're going to find in there is there really are three things that we always need to keep in mind. And I think if we do, we will be able to tame and overcome temptation. First thing we need to keep in mind is I will be tested. Okay? So Paul begins with a, with a warning in verse 12. He says, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. And here is a principle uh, in this statement I want you to get. If you think you are too big for a certain temptation, you are already too small to handle it. 
Let me say that again. If you think you are too big, too spiritual, okay, uh, too whatever, for a certain temptation, you are already ill-equipped to handle it. Before these Corinthians had come to faith in Christ, many of these people, they had worshipped idols. Many of them had gone to the temple of Aphrodite. They had indulged in uh, many forms of sexual immorality. Many of them had gone to the feast of the festivals. They drank to and beyond the point of intoxication. And they had this idea in their mind, this, this erroneous idea, that because now they had surrendered their lives to Christ, they could now handle any and all temptations, especially the ones that they had once succumbed to. They could still go up to the temple of Aphrodite. We're not going to participate in any of the sexual stuff. We're just going to go up there because, you know, we just want to see our old friends. And we're not going to drink. We're not going to worry about falling into that same temptation or falling back into any old habits. And so they just kind of thought, now that we're born again, we can go back into all of these places where we once succumbed to temptation. And you know what? It's not going to be a problem. I mean, does that sound familiar to any of you? You know, I, I hear people that, you know, they, they become born again. And, and after a couple of months, they kind of just feel like they're on a spiritual high. They're, they're really strong in Christ. And all of a sudden, they kind of announce, I'm going to go back into the bars where I used to hang out, where I used to drink and get drunk. And, and I'm just going to go back in there. And I'm just going to go back and hang out with all of the old friends that I used to kind of hang out with because I am so strong now. That, that I, I'm just not even going to be tempted to do any of the stuff that I once did. And they go back in and they get into the same old, old place with the old people. And pretty soon they're kind of back into the old destructive lifestyles. I hear people who end up in, in jail for drugs or prison. And there comes a period where they really draw close to God in their incarceration. And, and I'm, I'm happy for that. I praise God for that. It's a great thing. And then once they get out, they kind of come out on this spiritual high. Oh, I'm so strong in the Lord now, and I've got these Bible verses memorized, and I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they go back into these same old places with the same old people who are doing the same old thing. And before you know it, they're back into that destructive lifestyle. Or maybe you're one of those people who maybe kind of found yourself doing some very things you you never dreamt in a million years you would find yourself doing. I mean, how many of you have ever found yourself kind of saying to yourself, I never thought I would be in this position. I, I, I never, ever dreamt I would allow myself to get into this situation. Let me give you another otherwise principle. The areas of life where you think you are the strongest may be the places temptation attacks first. That's true. The areas of life where you think you are the strongest may be the places temptation attacks first. I read something the other day that absolutely fascinated me. A study by Temple University revealed that a burglar's likely entry point into a home is the front door. I would not have thought that. I would have thought the back door, you know, a side window, but they will only use a back door or a side window if it's absolutely necessary because the easiest 
most accessible entry point is the front door. Again, the point being, it is the place where you think you stand the strongest or the safest that you might fall the quickest. A couple of years ago, four children, they were three boys and a girl. They were ages 11 through 16, and they had kind of waded into like shin-deep water at a very popular beach in New York. Within three minutes, three of the four children were dead. All four of them had been yanked off of their feet and grabbed by the waves, and they were dragged underwater by a current that was so violent and so quick that before you could say, gone, they were. What happened? Well, many of you know there's an ocean phenomenon that can literally reach up onto the beach and grab you and drag you into deep water. Environmentalists call it the killer at the seashore. Many of us kind of know it as a riptide. And the reason the riptide is so dangerous, I don't know if you realize this, because it actually, a riptide actually begins forming on the beach. Again, you, you, you think I'm standing on the beach, I'm not in the water, this has got to be the safest place. People don't realize that a beach really is a mixture uh, of sand, pebbles, rocks, seashell, vegetation, and water. And although it is hard, it is also soft, it is flexible, and every time a wave hits the beach, they say it changes the contour and the makeup of the sand. And so all day long, there's kind of erosion that happens with every wave that comes in upon that beach. It is just beginning to, 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 to slightly and to subtly shift the floor of that sand. And so what it does is it begins to create very small depressions in random sequences up and down the, the beach. And the water that, that keeps coming in from the ocean kind of gravitates and goes into those depressions, making them deeper and wider. And then it kind of creates this uh, seed word pole that is known as a rip. So if a child is standing uh, on a particular place on a beach, and is on the edge of one of those depressions, what you'll find is the ground will kind of just suddenly give way. And that child can just literally be swept or sucked uh, away from the shore by a rip, which is a strip of murky, foamy water that moves directly and quickly away from the beach. I put that picture up there because they say if you're ever caught in a rip current, uh, again, the normal temptation is to try to swim against it. And they say if you'll actually just swim across it uh, and you can get out of the riptide and make your way back up to the beach. So if you're ever in that situation, ever find yourself in a riptide, hopefully that picture will come and you won't be actually trying to swim against it. You'll swim across it and come safely to shore. Now, temptation, I would say to you, it is kind of a spiritual riptide. And it really has the power to kind of jerk your feet right out from under you, even when you kind of think you're standing in a pretty safe place in life. We all just need to remember and kind of just factor in that every day you walk out the door and you walk out into the world, we're going to be faced with trials temptations and testings. And we're going to have the opportunity by virtue of what we encounter again. It's going to, it's going to reveal something in us. Something that maybe is going on inside of us. Something that God wants to work on or to heal. 
Trials and testings will give us the opportunity, again, to show the ways we are surrendered and walking with the Lord. It also can reveal ways that maybe we're kind of walking hand in hand with the world. And we're going to be walking into a culture where the sand is shifting every day, where there really isn't a a stable, solid rock to stand on. And and you just see things that are happening in our culture today, and and those sands are just shifting um, ever more violently. It would be good if we prayed a prayer, something like I read recently, and it said this prayer, Dear Lord, so far today I am doing great. I haven't gossiped, lost my temper, lusted, been grumpy, nasty, selfish, or greedy. I haven't whined, complained, cursed, or eaten any chocolate. I haven't charged anything on my credit card. But in a minute, I will be getting out of bed, and then I will really need your help. Isn't that true? From the moment you get out of bed, oftentimes until you kind of lay your head back down on that pillow at night, you got to remember, you're going to face trials, testings, temptations, and what it's going to show is it's going to reveal your spirituality or it's going to reveal the lack thereof. Exactly how are you going to be tested? That leads to the second thing you need to remember, and that is we're all going to be tempted. Now, Paul goes on to explain why he gave this warning in verse 13. He said, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a bit of good news to me. Because here's kind of what the devil tries to convince me in the areas where I'm tempted. Oftentimes when temptation comes to me, one of the things that I'll kind of, I'll kind of hear in the back of my mind is, you know what, this is unique to you. Nobody else has ever dealt with this. This is a, this is a temptation that, that shows really how far from God you are. Because nobody else, Jeff, thinks this way. Nobody else, Jeff, has ever had to face this temptation. And, and what he does is he, he kind of makes it like it's just unique to you. And so what often happens is when we kind of think we're the only ones on the face of the earth throughout history who has ever dealt with this temptation, what do we kind of do? We, 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 we don't want to share that with anybody because we kind of think, man, if, if I tell somebody I'm struggling in, in, in an area, that I'm being tempted in this area, and I think it's unique to me only, man, what are people going to think of me if I tell them what I'm dealing with? And so oftentimes, that's, that's what the enemy will do. He'll kind of get you to think you're the only one who's ever felt that way. You're the only one who's ever been tempted in this way. And then he'll use it as a, as a means to kind of get you to see that you're not, you're not as spiritually mature. God doesn't, God doesn't love you the way you think he does because if, if he did, you wouldn't be thinking this way. You wouldn't be feeling this temptation. So again, what, what he tries to do is tries to just drive that wedge in and just isolate you. So I love when Paul says this, the temptations in your life, the things you deal with, he said, are no different from what others experience. That tells me, hey, we're all in the same boat Paul's saying temptation, it's one of the oldest tricks in the book. You know what, temptation, it just comes with the territory of being human. If you're here this morning and you're human, you're going to be tempted. It's part of every person's life. 
Temptation generally is common to everybody, and specific temptations are common to somebody. As a matter of fact, the Bible, do you realize this? The Bible is full of every conceivable temptation that you can ever imagine, and practically everybody struggled with it, including some of the greatest people in the Bible, Abraham, Moses, David, Paul, even Jesus were all tempted. Now, let me just define what I mean by temptation. Temptation, again, it's the opportunity to fulfill a natural, God-given desire in an unnatural or an ungodly fashion. Another way of putting it is temptation is the opportunity to fulfill a legitimate desire in an illegitimate way. So everyone who has ever lived has been tempted, but not everybody is tempted in the same way. Now, temptation kind of affects different people in different ways for different reasons. Now, what I mean by that is what tempts me may not tempt you, okay? What tempts you may not tempt me. For example, alcohol and drugs have really never been a temptation for me. I don't drink alcohol. I've never really been um, uh, pressured. I've never really had to battle that urge um, to drink. Again, I, I don't condemn people, um, you know, who, who are struggling with that or those of you that maybe do drink socially. I, I'm, not, I'm not standing in judgment um, of that. I just know it, it is not a, a, a part of my life. It never really has been. Uh, I just have no desire um, for that. Um, the same thing is true with drugs. I've never done drugs. I've never been tempted. Um, I've been offered uh, several times. I just have never, ever had any desire to do drugs, to experiment with drugs. I don't even like taking prescription drugs, okay? Now, on the other hand, I have a very a seriously really considered joining Chocolate Chip Cookie Anonymous, right? I mean, all of us, again, this may not be an area where you're tempted. This is an area for me where I, I'm tempted. Last week, Mark, Jason, and I, we had taken some of our kids and our grandkids camping for a couple of days. Carolyn Miller, I don't know if you know Carolyn, but if you've ever been in the Price Cafe you probably have been treated to her specialty, and she is just she is a great cookie bar dessert maker. Um, and Carolyn had offered to make a, a bunch of uh, goodies for us uh, to take with our kids when we went camping. And so when she brought it in, uh, it was uh, I don't know if you've ever seen those. Um, those boxes that, like, I think there's like maybe 10 reams of paper come in, you know, a staples, a big box, and it was full of goodies. I mean, there were, there were cookies and bars and brownies and Rice Krispie treats and scotcheroos and bags and bags of puppy chow. I mean, it had everything in there you could think of. Now, at one point in our camping trip, some really bad weather came rolling through the campground. Our first thought wasn't, we need to make sure the kids are safe, okay? Our first thought was, where is Carolyn's box of goodies, and are they in a safe, dry place, okay? Now, some of you don't have a sweet tooth. I do. That's kind of my point here. What tempts you doesn't tempt me. What tempts me may not tempt you. And Paul is pointing out here, and he's just reminding us, there's nothing wrong with you, okay? You're not weird. You're not evil, okay, if you are tempted, because temptation chases 
everybody, everybody faces temptation. Now, again, there are people that kind of get this idea, and it's a false notion that once you surrender your life to Christ, temptation becomes a thing of the past. And again, the enemy wants to use that. You become a Christian and you feel tempted and all of a sudden the enemy's going to kind of come in with guilt, shame, condemnation. See, if you were really born again, you wouldn't feel tempted. That's a misnomer. The truth is, uh, is that when you really decide to get serious in your walk with Jesus Christ, you're probably going to face more temptation than you ever did before you decided to become a follower of Christ. Temptation is not removed when you become a Christ follower. In fact, the moment you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you become an enemy of Satan, and he will put you on his list as public enemy number one. And he'll pull out every weapon possible to tempt you and to lure you back into sin, rebellion, and disobedience. So temptation is not repelled when you become a Christ follower. Even though you get the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within you and you become a believer, the Holy Spirit is not a temptation repellent. He doesn't keep you from temptation. Rather, he protects you from temptation and he leads you out of temptation. So temptation is not reduced or eliminated when you become a Christ follower. So no matter how well you know Christ, no matter how deep you are growing in Christ, you will face temptation to varying degrees all the days of your life. Now, I know every day as a pastor, I'm going to be tempted. It's just, again, it's part of our makeup as human beings. I've been around the block long enough to know the areas I'm going to be tempted in. But I also know half the battle is won by realizing I'm not going to be taken by surprise. So when temptation does come, especially in those areas where I'm very prone to it, I'm not shocked by it. As a matter of fact, I'm kind of somewhat expecting at some point I'm going to have to deal with this temptation. So the question is, how do you tame it? How do you overcome it? How do you get victory? Well, that is by remembering the final point. And thirdly, God can be trusted. Now, let these next four words from verse 13, let these just settle in your heart this morning. And God is faithful. Even when you're not, God is faithful. God is faithful to what? God is faithful to his word. God is faithful to his promises. God is faithful to who? To his children, to his sons, his daughters. What is his promise to his children? We'll keep reading on there in verse 13. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can bear. That's the promise. And God is faithful to that promise. So you know what? At this point, we know two things about temptation. On the one hand, we're all going to be tempted. On the other hand, God can be trusted to make sure that we will never face a temptation greater than our ability to handle it. That is why Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6, 13. He said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When you pray that prayer, You can count on the faithfulness of God that he is going to answer it. 
I saw a bumper sticker one time that said, lead me not into temptation, I can find it by myself. That's true, right? You don't have to worry about finding temptation. You don't have to go looking for it. Temptation will find you, trust me. But when it does, it will not be, and this is the promise of God, it will not be a temptation so strong that you just can't help yourself and you have no other choice but then just to give in to it. If you've ever heard somebody say, as they're making an excuse, they'll say, I was just overcome, overwhelmed by this temptation. I couldn't help myself. It was more than I could stand. You know they're not being truthful. And they better find another excuse because the word says God is faithful to his promises to us. The only temptation that will ever come to you is the temptation you can handle. Let me say that again. The only temptation that's going to come to you is the temptation you can handle. This is the cold, hard truth that a lot of us just don't like to face up to. People do not sin because they're tempted to sin. Now, temptation may be the beginning of sin, but it is not the cause of sin. You can be tempted and not give in to it, and you've committed no sin. People do not sin because they're tempted to. They sin because they want to. That's the cold, hard reality You don't give in to temptation because you have to. You give in to temptation because you want to. I don't give in to temptation because I can't resist it, but because I won't resist it. Big difference. That's the reality. I know that's true because God has already said, you are not going to be tempted beyond your ability to handle it. How does God enable us to handle it? Verse 13, he says, when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. That's his promise. And that is God's plan to tame temptation. When you experience temptation, you endure temptation by escaping temptation. That's what Paul's saying. Remember again, the prayer of Jesus, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God's plan is never to lead you into doing wrong, but to lead you out of it. And the way he does that is he does it by providing a way of escape. Do you know one of the most popular seats on an airplane is? The exit row. The reason for that's very simple. If a plane crashes, the number one cause of death in a plane crash is not the crash because, you know, the plane crashes, you're not going to have to worry about an exit door. The number one cause of death in a plane crash is fire. So if a fire erupts on the plane, you want to be nearest the closest exit, right? Every time the smoke of temptation gets thick and the fire of temptation kind of begins to rage around you, again, if you'll look, Somewhere you will find a clearly marked exit sign. It'll be like the exit signs in here. It'll be lit up. It'll be obvious. It'll be there. God promises there will always be a way of escape in every temptation. You won't have to give in to temptation. Every time temptation knocks on the door of your life, the Bible says God will always provide a way of escape. And that is why, again, we got to take responsibility for our own actions. We can't, we can't blame our, our faults, our failures, our mistakes on anybody else. 
You can't blame sin on God. You can't blame sin on the devil. You can't say the devil made me do it. The devil can't make you do anything. If you ever take the wrong path, you make the wrong decision, or ever do the wrong thing, again, it's oftentimes because we failed to look for the exit sign. We failed to look for the way of escape. And here's what we don't realize. God does not give you strength to fight the temptation. He gives you the speed to flee the temptation. Oftentimes, we get into temptation, and we want to just stand there. We want to fight against that temptation. That's the wrong thing to do. God's not giving you the strength to fight the temptation. He's giving you the speed to flee, get away, run. Let me just close by giving just a kind of a few practical insights here. Very, very few of us ever intend to mess up our lives. Amen? Uh, If you've ever, ever made a mess of your life, I will guarantee you there was never a time where you decided that that was your goal in life. You didn't didn't get out of bed one morning and just suddenly say to yourself, you know what I'm going to do? I am going to make a complete and total mess of my life. Nobody ever does that. It often just kind of comes in, in gradual, consistent steps in the wrong direction. So if the failure to con- contain temptation you know, over a period of time, maybe it's gotten you into like a financial mess, a relational mess, a professional mess, or maybe even a moral mess. By and large, it's because you really didn't plan on that happening. Again, none of us ever plan on it. We don't intend it. It's not the vision for our life to get into trouble. The problem is we don't plan not to. We don't plan to experience temptation, but we also don't plan to escape it. Does that make sense? None of us plans or intends to get into trouble. The problem is we don't plan not to. We don't plan to experience temptation. The problem is we don't plan to escape it. So the question now comes, how do you escape temptation? First of all, if at all possible, number one piece of advice, don't get into tempting situations. I mean, I know that sounds, you know, not very bright, um, pretty simple, but it's Amazing how many of us just blow right through that. There was a little boy sitting under an apple tree that belonged to a farmer next door. The farmer saw him and walked over to him and said, son, are you trying to steal one of my apples? The boy looked up at him and said, no, sir, I'm trying not to. So do all that you can, first of all, just to avoid getting into a tempting situation. You know, as a pastor, um, I've, I've had to just kind of make some pretty hard, steadfast rules. I think I can probably speak for Pastor Jason, Pastor Mark. Um, and there's, there's just certain things we just choose right up front not to do. I, I never uh, am in a car um, alone with a woman, you know, unless it, you know, is my wife. And even that's dangerous if you've seen the way she drives. Um, <laughs> I, so there just are, are certain situations I avoid. I don't counsel women alone in my office. Um, if, if I'm going to meet with women for counseling, I usually will have another person there, preferably um, my wife, because I oftentimes think that, that a better and, and a more useful connection is often women to women rather than women to men. I mean, I've known a number of counselors. I've seen a number of pastors that get into counseling women alone, and these women have some very 
very deep, personal, emotional, oftentimes sexual issues, and they start sharing that with the pastor. And what often happens, and I, again, I don't think that this is intentional in the beginning, but what often happens is when you're sharing very, very deep, personal things like that, it begins to establish an emotional connection between you and that person. And it kind of just becomes a pathway into a lot of other troubled areas. So I, I will not counsel uh, women. And I've had some of them say to me, well, you're my pastor. Well, I am, but in, in, in limited ways uh, for your safety and for mine. And so, again, just, I just don't put myself in those situations. Not because I think I'm going to do something inappropriate. I just don't want there ever to be the potential or even the appearance of any kind of impropriety. So, again, sometimes, you know, uh, you just have to set up those boundaries. Um, you know, uh, again, I know some of you, you know, that struggle maybe with pornography and stuff. Again, oftentimes when I'm dealing with people, first question I'll ask them is, where is the computer? And, and you know what they tell me? It's, an, it's in a very, very private room. It's in their bedroom. It's in their office. It's a place where people just don't have a lot of access to. And, and so what I'll tell them is, you move it out of, out of the office, out of the bedroom, into the kitchen. And I guarantee you, you will have less of a problem with that. So again, it's just sometimes just, just, you know, don't set yourself up for that. Not because, again, you intentionally go into putting it in the bedroom for that purpose. It's just all of a sudden, it's there, the temptation comes, and before you know it, you've got the perfect scenario to kind of walk through that. And so again, just be careful and, and, and don't... Uh, Set yourself up uh, in tempting situations, if at all possible. Uh, again, we're never told to fight temptation. We are always told to flee it, okay? Listen to these verses, 1 Timothy 2.22. Flee youthful passions. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual immorality. Fleeing temptation may mean you have to do different things in different situations. It's kind of like that song, you know, you may have to get off the bus, Gus, Make a new plan, stand, drop off the key, Lee, and get yourself free. I was, when I was, I don't know why, when I was doing that message, that song came to my mind and <laughs> thought, why not? So as you walk down the street of life, again, I just want you to just be aware. You're going to turn corners and sometimes in just very unexpected ways. You're going to walk right into temptation. And when you do, I hope that you'll just remember God has already provided a way of escape for you. Again, God is rarely early, but he is never late. And oftentimes, God does not provide the way of escape before the temptation or after the temptation. God provides it when you're in the midst of it. He says, when you are tempted, meaning it, the temptation is already there. He said, I will show you a way out so you can endure. There was a four-year-old child, and I'm closing with this, four-year-old child that was uh, being taught by her father to look both ways before she crossed the street. And one day she's walking with her dad, and as they started to cross the street, there's this dead squirrel right in the middle of the road. And it was just a horrific scene. I mean, there was blood and intestines and just spread out right in front of where this little girl was crossing the street. Dad took opportunity of the situation, looked at her and said, Honey, uh, that, that's too bad. I guess the car was going too fast. And the little girl said, that wasn't the problem, Dad. The squirrel didn't look both ways. And Dad totally missed the point. But the little girl was right. If you only look one way, folks, in temptation, 
temptation is going to run you over. Every time you look one way and see temptation, man, look the other way because the way of escape is there. I close with this. I just want you to think about your greatest temptation. Think about that one temptation that just gives you fits. That one that you just, it just seems to come around all the time. It's the one that you think you're never, ever going to get any victory over. I want you just to think about that one temptation that just seems like it just will not let you out of its grip. And then I want you to think, ask God, show me the way of escape in this. And I'll guarantee you, there is one. Jesus didn't just die on the cross to free us from the penalty of sin. He also died upon the cross to free us from the power of sin. There is a power of sin in temptation. And every time you face temptation, if you'll just run from that temptation and run to Jesus, you can tame temptation every time. Amen? Hey, let's stand together this morning. I want to just close with this, and I, I kind of made this challenge in, in first service. You know, every Sunday we offer uh, communion here, um, and how many of you know communion is not just something that you can do at church? Do you realize you can do communion at home? So one of the things that I kind of suggested maybe to people as a way of escape is maybe there just needs to be a place in your home where you have the communion elements available. And so as you're facing temptation, maybe even in your office, there's just a place where, where those elements are available. So that as you're, as you're facing temptation, one of the things that you're able to do is to kind of pull back from that and engage in communion with the Lord. Um, so I just, I just throw that out there for some of you. Maybe as you're kind of thinking of that area where you're facing the greatest temptation and you don't know how uh, to escape that. That may be a very, very simple, uh, a powerful way of, of, of just pulling back from that temptation and engaging and, and just focusing upon the broken body of Christ. Because it's, it's, it's our brokenness, it was our sin, and, and Jesus came and, and took all of that upon himself. And it was through his shed blood, he said, that we have the forgiveness of sin. And I cannot think of a better message in the midst of temptation than just to remember your body was broken, your blood was shed for me. And Jesus said, every time you do that, he said, do it in remembrance of me. Well, guess what? When you're battling with temptation and you begin to kind of commune and you begin to focus and meditate upon the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, you kind of forget the temptation because you're remembering him and what he's done for you. And so maybe just for some of you, again, it's just an application uh, for you as maybe you're looking and, and trying to just ask God to show you that way of escape. Maybe it is just having a place where the communion elements are available to you in the home, in the workplace, so that when temptation comes, you have a place to go, a place of communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Father, we just thank you so much for again, just this gentle reminder that it was for our brokenness that Jesus' body was broken and it was for our sins that his blood was shed. 
And Father, we know that that is something that was done over 2,000 years ago, but we still reap the benefits of that even today. So Father, I just pray for anybody out here, all of us here that deal with temptation on a daily basis, Lord, especially for those temptations that are very, very powerful. They're the ones that we just never seem to be able to get beyond. And Father, I just pray, Lord, that as we are mindful of that, that again, Lord, we'll not just look that one way at temptation, but Lord, that you'll direct our eyes in the opposite direction, that we'll look both ways. And in looking away from temptation, that God, we will begin to see that way of escape that you have provided for us because you are faithful, your word says. And so, Father, I just pray that as we go forth from this place, as we encounter those testings, those trials, those temptations that come our way, that, God, they would cause us, Lord, to flee, to run to you. And so, Father, again, we just thank you for your word to us. We thank you again for this reminder that the victory can be ours through Jesus Christ. And it's in his precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.